Welcome to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Your hosts are here to speak the words of the spirits and answer your questions. Now, here are Connie and Barry. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife. I'm Barry Strom, your host. We're going to use our gift of spirit communication to investigate various aspects of spiritual life in the afterlife. Please have an open mind. Stick with us. I think you're going to really enjoy the show today. And I'm Connie Strom, your co-host. This week, we're honored to have the presence of Rob Gentile. He's a best-selling author of the book, Quarks of Light, and a motivational speaker. Rob is a true light worker and experiencer of the other side. Okay, now today we're going to take phone calls in the third segment of the show. But I want to get to Rob as quick as we can. This is going to be an amazing show, and we are going to run out of time, I know. So anyway, Rob, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Barry and Connie, for having me today. Oh, we've been looking forward to this one. Yes. Uh, Let's start with uh, your daughter. You have a special needs daughter that's suffering from Rett syndrome. Would you tell us about caring for your daughter and how that affects your life? Certainly. Thank you, Connie. Yes. Maria. Maria is my, actually, she's, she's my hero. She's the one that proved to me that God existed. And she's the one that has been kind of like the, the anchor in my life. At one time, I didn't see Maria that way. But after I died and had my near-death experience, I saw the true value of Maria. And I was able to understand in the spirit what I wasn't able to understand here in the physical. But Maria is, to care for Maria, uh, Rett syndrome is a a terrible disease state that she presents kind of like um, a severely autistic person. Also, she has a seizure disorder. Uh, If you saw her, she would present like she has cerebral palsy. She cannot walk by herself without assistance. She has, uh, she wears braces uh, on her legs to be able to do that. And she wrings and writhes her hands constantly, which is a characteristic of Rett syndrome girls. It's so rare that there are only about 367,000 Rett syndrome girls on the planet. And what happens is, is that somewhere along the line, early in development, something triggers the master gene in the brain called the MECP2 to not necessarily shut off, but girls are kind of cursed in a sense because they have two MECP2 genes. One is normal and one is abnormal. So something forces the MECP2 master gene, the normal one, to shut off, and then the abnormal one expresses. So she's not retarded. She knows everything. It's just that if I can use the metaphor of a house, it's like building a house and you're you're wiring the house and putting in all of the light switches and the, the plugs and so on and so forth. And then you run out of money. So the electrician never finishes wiring the house. And that's kind of like what happens to Rett syndrome girls' brains. The master MECP2 gene produces the proteins that allows the synapses to connect. So without that protein, the synapses can't connect. So when that gene shuts off and the abnormal one expresses, the brain stops developing 
because those those synapses cannot connect. So although she knows everything, she's kind of like a stroke victim that she knows what's happening, she understands, but she can't express it. So caring for Maria these past 26 years, she'll be 27 this May actually, is um, it's total constant 24 hour care. She, you know, she's diapered. Um, she has limited uh, expression in terms of what she can tell us. We kind of use a communication board with pictures um, and hold one hand down so she can kind of tap it with the other hand to show us what she wants. And that's that's con- kind of like, um, you know, 60% accurate, Connie. So it is a, uh, it's physically, financially, mentally, um, training in, in a sense, it's a very difficult, uh, difficult road. But again, the positive side of this is the gifts that she's given me along the way far, you know, far outweigh uh, the everyday challenges that we deal with. So sad, Rob. Why do you think God allows such suffering for an innocent soul? Well, I'll tell you, if I knew that, <laughs> um, but here, but here's what I, I think the best way to answer it is is this, and and I I learned this through my near death experience. God doesn't allow or disallow these things. It's it's the free will that we have, and when I say free will, that's a rabbit hole we can run down, you know, for the entire show because I think that free will has a lot to do with the quote-unquote evil in the world, the bad things that happen in the world. I think that those bad things that happen in the world sometimes, um, depending on the circumstances, just the misuse of free will. But, you know, God didn't cause the MECD2 gene to shut off. Uh, We have our theories as to what happened to Maria and why that master gene shuts off. But here's what I've learned about adversity and suffering. If this had not happened to Maria, I don't really know what I would have become. And I really don't know if I would ever have been able to experience the spiritual side of things, even when I had my near-death experience when I died, because it was Maria really that was able to open that realm up for me and help me to understand that adversity is an opportunity to build a closer relationship with God. You know, I have this saying that nobody ever grows or learns anything on vacation. <laughs> it's only through uh, the struggles and the vicissitudes of life where we're really forced to dig in deep and get to the core of our true authentic selves. And, and that's where we find ourselves. It's it's through those in adverse periods in our life when we really grow. So it was, you know, this journey with Maria, and, and, I'll, and I'll share a story that's not in the book. Um, I was really feeling sorry for myself one time. This was uh, several, several years before I had died and had my near-death experience. And I was in that self-pity mode and um, Maria was in a really, really bad failure to thrive. I mean, she was passing whole foods. She was just a skeleton of a human being having seizures all the time. And she was always, um, 
she was always having difficult times with her digestion. So one of the ways to fix that was to give her coffee enemas. And I'll never forget, it was a cold February morning. There I was down on my hands and knees. And I have this uh, enema bucket giving her this coffee enema. And um, tears are coming down. And I cried out to God. I looked up and I said, where are you? Where are you now? And this voice came as clear as I'm talking to you, Connie, and just it impressed itself on my spirit. It just, I kind of like absorbed it. It was as plain as day. And it said, look at me, I'm right here. And I looked at Maria at the other end of the tub, and there I was down in the muck. And she had this incredible knowing smile on her face and kind of like this glowing look to her. And it was in that moment that I realized that the creator was speaking through her. And it's in helping one another. It's in service to one another where we discover what the creator is really like. And I learned in my near-death experience that God expresses and experiences life through us. So these challenges of adversity um, and disappointment and sickness and all of these things that we live through, if we change our perspective and understand that this is the opportunity to build that closer relationship with the creator, it changes everything. Yeah. <clears throat> Rob? Talk about uh, massive problems. 56, you had a huge heart attack resulting you needed a heart replacement. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what happened? Well, sure, Barry. So at 56 years old, I had been, uh, and by the way, so I've always been a very healthy guy, taking care of myself. You know, I was involved in martial arts uh, early on in my life and so I had these uh, bone spurs on my neck that were really creating a lot of uh, a lot of pain. And I found a doctor in Pittsburgh, actually, where I'm originally from, a very famous Korean doctor, that instead of cutting open the back of your neck and drilling out these spurs, and people that have that done, they get their, their discs fused and then they're in pain the rest of their life. My wife's a pharmacist. She said, hey, most of my patients on you know, on painkillers or from uh, neck and back surgery. So don't, don't do that. But this gentleman goes in through the front, it's called a foraminal anatomy, and he moves the esophagus to one side and he goes in and he drills out these, these bone spurs. So it's a relatively simple operation. I stayed in the hospital uh, one night and then I was released. Well, what happened was, and of course, looking back, my transplant team was able to figure out what happened. So four nights later, I come back to North Carolina. I'm in my bed and about 11, 11.30 p.m., all of a sudden, my wife hears all of this screaming and um, thrashing. And, and at first, she thought it was my daughter having seizures. But she turned on the light and there I am flopping around like a fish and I'm screaming in pain. We don't know what's going on. She calls 911. I pass out from the pain. And thank goodness, uh, the ambulance gets there quickly. I'm only about three miles from the hospital. I'm rushed to the hospital. The 
ambulance driver knows I'm having a massive heart attack, calls it in, they get me into the ER. And what's peculiar about this, Barry, is that, so they gave me some blood thinners uh, immediately and some drugs, whatever those were, I'm unconscious. And the, the, the ER doctor says, okay, look, the cardiologist isn't here. Uh, we've called the cardiologist, he's in route, but we've got him stable and he should be fine until the cardiologist gets here. So my wife breathes a sigh of relief. And there I am laying on the gurney. My wife's in there with a nurse. And all of a sudden, my wife describes it as uh, a scene from the movie, The Exorcist. It was almost as if somebody had grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me forward on the gurney from the waist up. And I mean, my wife said, I sprang forward um, with great force and my eyes popped wide open. There I was sitting up, scared the heck out of everybody. My eyes popped wide open. I screamed out the name Frosty and fell backwards, collapsed on the gurney. Code blue rang out in the hospital and in rushed a team of doctors to try and resuscitate me. I say try and resuscitate me because... For 20 minutes, and my medical records show this, for 20 minutes, they could not revive me. They tried, uh, of course, paddle shocks, vigorous sternal rubs. They injected epinephrine into my heart with a long needle three or four times. I was not coming back. But for some reason, Dr. Patel, um, uh, an Indi a little Indian woman who's a very good friend of mine now, something compelled her not to give up on me. She continued to do manual physical um, CPR on me until she obtained a very slight pulse. And when she did, the cardiologist arrived. They did an emergency catheterization through my thigh, found the blockage, inserted two stints, um, but it was too late. I went into cardiogenic shock. Another doctor rushed in, intubated me, and I slipped into a four-day coma. So that's how it began, Barry. Mm. <laughs> that's quite a beginning. Uh, yes. I guess I guess a logical place from there would be to tell us about your near-death experience. I know you refer to it as a journey into the erythial. Uh, yes. Well, two things. Uh, two things happened. It was. I had two experiences actually. Uh, when I when I was in coma, my my oldest brother drove down from Pittsburgh. I was raised Catholic. He called the local parish priest. The parish priest came in, and I was intubated. Um, and so he didn't think that I was going to make it. So the parish priest went ahead and anointed me with oil and ashes. In the Catholic faith, it's called extreme unction. You only get that once in your lifetime, and it's preparing you to meet God. So they did that. I had neurologists coming in and out of my room for those four days, testing me to see if I were brain dead. I don't know how they do that, but on the fourth day, one of the doctors said, look, we can't wait any longer. He's probably a vegetable. We don't know what we have. We're going to pull the vent. If he starts to breathe on his own, We'll see what we have. Well, obviously, I did. But what was extraordinary about that, Barry, is that my wife was the first one to walk into the room in my recovery. 
And she said, I was talking like a child with this high pitched voice. She said, I was saying, you have to believe me. You have to believe me. It was frosty. Frosty came to me. And she said, oh, my God, Rob, that makes total sense. I said, what do you mean it makes total sense? She said, well, right before you flatlined, you sprung forward on the gurney and screamed out his name. And then you passed out. And then they came in and started to work on you. And she said, tell me exactly what did Frosty say to you? And I told her, Frosty said, I've made a big mess out of things. And you have to go back and help clean things up. But tell my parents I'm in a good place. And to give you the backstory, Barry Frosty was the nickname of my brother-in-law who had taken his life via suicide seven weeks prior to me dying that night. And what's curious about that is that he was living in the upstairs bedroom of his parents' house at that time. He was going through a divorce. It was near Christmas. And his mother called me at like 530 in the morning and said, hey, can you come down here and go up into his room and try to find a note or a notebook or something that would give us a clue as to why he did this. So they only live about 30 miles south of here. I went and and I went up into that room seven times until I found a notebook, which I did give to the family. So that's the first part of my spiritual experience. And something else peculiar was taking place during that 20 minute period. And I couldn't put it together until the next morning, but something was bugging me. While Dr. Patel was working on me, I kept on hearing the same voice over and over and over. Another male spirit had entered the room and kept on saying to her, don't give up, you can save him. Keep working on him, don't give up, you can save him. And what's interesting is the next morning, Dr. Patel, who of course I didn't know, came to my bedside and she pulled up a chair and sat down and she introduced herself and told me that she was the doctor that worked on me that night and refused to give up. And um, she started to cry and she put her hand on mine. My arms were paralyzed for the first couple of days out of coma. And she began to tell me, you know, how many times she almost lost me and what she had done and so on and so forth to save me. And then it got very personal. She began to tell me about her father, which I thought was very odd. And she said, you know, Rob, I had a very, very close relationship with my father. He helped me through medical school. We were so close, we could read each other's minds. And all he wanted to do was live long enough to see my first child born, which was a boy. But six months before my child was born, he died suddenly from an aneurysm. And ever since then, I haven't felt his presence. I used to be very spiritual. I'm a Hindu, and I've lost that. I've become bitter, and I don't know that I believe in that stuff anymore. But seeing you here today, alive, gives me hope that maybe, just maybe, there's something more out there. And you know, Barry, in that moment, the puzzle unscrambled and it struck me, it was her father that had entered the room and was prompting her to keep working on me because 20 minutes, I mean, she should have called it long ago, but she kept working on me. And in that moment, I didn't tell her that it was her father because I knew she would think I was crazy. It wasn't until 
I came back from Chicago after my heart transplant more than a year later that I met her at the hospital, brought her a dozen roses, and we sat down in the cafeteria, and I told her about her father entering the room that night and prompting her. And, you know, it changed her life. And now every year on his birthday, we talk, and she always feels his presence, and she knows now that her father is always with her. It was a beautiful thing. Incredible, Rob. Let's take a short break, Rob. Uh, Believe me, I want to hear the rest of this. We'll be right back. Thank you. Connie and Barry will be back after a few words from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Is death the end of the journey of the soul? or a time of new beginnings? Is there proof of an afterlife? What would historic figures say if they lived today? Psychic and channeler Barry Strom uses his gift of spirit communication to answer these questions and explore all aspects of the hereafter. Have all the information necessary not to fear life's final journey. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Psychic and author Barry Strom has now published nine books dealing with supernatural subject from ghosts to aliens. His most recent books, Messages of God and Messages of the Prophet Muhammad for a Modern World, bring you the channeled messages of the founders of Christianity and Islam. Their words are intended to guide their followers through these modern times. These books are available in softcover and ebook on Amazon.com. Signed copies of all of Strom's books are available on his website, www.barrystrom.com. Welcome back to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife. Here are your hosts, Connie and Barry Strom. Hey, welcome back, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. We've been speaking with Rob Gentile with his incredible life story. Uh, Rob, let's continue with it. I'm sure nobody's left. Okay, certainly. Well, Barry, to answer your question before the break, what happened next is, of course, when um, when I came out of recovery, the doctors told me here in North Carolina that there was no way that I could survive without a heart transplant. My heart was completely destroyed. So they, they hooked me up with uh, a defibrillator device and they, this thing, you know, looks like a, a bulletproof vest a policeman would wear. So I had a battery pack on my right shoulder, uh, keeping this vest on me. And every time my heart would go out, which was often, by the way, this thing would shock me uh, back to life. Talk about PTSD. Thanks. And then they also put a port in my chest on the other side which was dripping this medicine on my heart called milrinone. 
like every 60 seconds. And there was a pump attached to that too, that made this crazy, you know, whirring sound like every time it dripped medicine on my heart. So I had these two, you know, one, one battery pack on my left shoulder, one battery pack on my right shoulder. I looked like this cyborg creature from, uh, you know, a science fiction movie. Nobody wanted to come near me. <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't get a heart. I tried everywhere to get a heart here in North Carolina, other states too, and I couldn't get a heart. I was about to give up. And my employer, who is based in Chicago, actually helped me with some connections through the University of Chicago Medicine. And before you knew it, I was on a plane, my wife and I, Melanie, and we went to Chicago where we met some of the most extraordinary doctors that I have ever have ever been. Let's put it this way. My, my wife and I have met an army of doctors throughout the 26 years trying to find a cure for Maria. But these doctors were just very purpose-driven, uh, spiritual doctors who, who had a sense of this holistic approach. When I walked through the door at the University of Chicago Medicine, I'll never forget Dr. Uriel, who, by the way, is an archangel, Uriel, um, yes, looked, at, looked at me, and he said, I don't know how you're walking around, but we'll try to take it from here. So they, uh, I, made, I made medical history, Barry, because there was a, a uh, my heart transplant doctor, Dr. Juvenandan, a very uncharacteristically tall Indian man had been working on a heart pump called the New Pulse for about 15 years. And he said to me, he said, you know, Rob, the, you'll never survive until a donor heart arrives because it's going to take three, four months, maybe even longer, about time you go through all the testing. And he said, this pump, we're going to cut a hole in your chest, very small incision. I'll fish this little balloon pump down through your aorta and out the left side of your body is going to be this titanium disc with wires coming out of it connected to this pump about the size of a lunchbox that runs off an iPad, of all things. And I said, wow, that's really cool, Doc. I mean, uh, how many how many people have had this thing? And he said, well, that's just it. <laughs> he said, we've, we've only tested it on cows. And I said... <laughs> You mean like where steaks come from? You're gonna yeah. you're gonna put this thing in me? And he said, "Well, we've had it in one other gentleman, uh, but his heart came like 48 hours later. But we need three weeks of data to take it to the FDA so we can get approval for human trials." So I had no choice. I signed the paperwork, and of course, it was the best move that I ever made. But even with the heart pump, the new pulse. Barry and everything that they were doing for me, the mill renown. Um, my heart was so weak that one night it finally gave out again. And this is where I had my most profound near-death experience. And this is where I really thank Frosty for opening the door for me, sort of speak, because you know, being raised Catholic, I had a very narrow view of the Creator. But when Frosty told me he was in a good place, I really began to question things because I was taught as a Catholic back then that, of course, taking one's life was, you know, immediate, no pass, no go to a place called hell. But Frosty was in a good place. And that was a paradigm shift for me in my thinking and my belief system. But what happened in Chicago was 
when my heart gave out the second time, I was alone up on the eighth floor of the University of Chicago Medicine with a view of Lake Michigan. A terrible storm came in that night, sheets of rain smashing up against the window, lightning. And in that moment, it was almost as if every negative thought that I ever had, every mistake that I ever made in my life, everything was, it was like I was drawing all this fear into myself like a magnet. And I didn't realize at the time it was the dark one. It was the enemy working on me. Um, but that's what was happening. And in that moment, my heart went into tachycardia and I just gave up. And in the next moment, it what felt like, it's hard to really describe it. Although I don't, I don't really know how much time passed, but I was taken up into a timeless place. I found myself inside this shapeless, formless vacuum of sorts. It was an unending, infinite vastness. The way I describe it, it was much like looking out an airplane window on a cloudless day. You know, you're flying on an airplane, it's a clear, sunny day, and you, you can see everything, you think, but you're, you're really looking at nothing. And that's what it was like. I'm standing in the middle of nowhere. I was everywhere at once. It, it was almost as if I was made of sand and someone picked me up and threw the grains of my being into a strong wind, scattering me across this infinite timeless universe. And I, I saw what looked like a hologram of my body in my green hospital gown, suspended in space, whole and healthy. And at the same time, I, I, I can look down and, and see my broken atrophied body in the same gown, lying in my bed, connected to the heart pump and all the IV bags and everything that was attempting to keep me alive. You know, it, it, what was happening was just unexplainable. But in that moment, I felt as if I was connected to the vast wisdom of the universe, all of it, without words. And I remember being disappointed that I did not see Jesus Christ. I did not see God. I did not see my parents who have gone before me. I didn't hear any singing. I was, remember being disappointed. I didn't see a singular divine being, but instead, God impressed on my spirit, concepts that I wholly understood without explanation. Much like God spoke to me when I was in the tub with Maria cleansing her. But in that moment, all of a sudden, and, and I should say in this place that I call the ethereal, there was no language. Language was, communication was kind of like telepathic. It was sensed and felt then absorbed. It was kind of like an extrasensory perception and synchronicity at the same time. But these concepts began to come in like, I am the power behind all things. My power is omnipotent. I am the origin of all. This is the divine source, the foundation for everything. This is your real identity. That's the first thing that hit me. And there was no, my, my body, the five senses had no functionality in that place. In other words, there was no smell, taste, or touch. But what had been expanded was my ability 
to view light. You know, the human eye can detect only a small percentage of the color spectrum, but there in that ethereal place, it seemed like light was amplified and, and, and colors uh, seemed to abound. And I saw that time was only real in the physical realm to satisfy our one-dimensional linear thinking, but it was an illusion in the ethereal. Instead, it seemed like time was constantly in flux between past and present, creating the ultimate paradox. And what I thought was curious was there is that I didn't see the future. The future was hidden. But I knew that if it was there, I didn't need to worry about. It. And what happened next was it was very, it was almost like knowledge of the universe was understood in a flash. The nature of the universe, it seemed that the laws that governed it were so elegant. And there were equations, mathematical equations floating around me. And to learn the answer to any question, all I had to do was observe. And then I remember thinking, of course, how simple. It has to be designed this way. Everything is created from the same ingredients, same formula. All people, all creatures, everything animate, inanimate, we're all connected. We just manifest physical forms differently, but all things are one. That's the only way the creator could have designed it. It's only humans that make it so doggone complicated. I remember that I understood that my body, my race, my religion, none of those things were important there. I was just part of this oneness. It was a message of unity. And that's where I learned that God expresses and experiences life through us. And then I have to tell you, one of the most extraordinary things that happened, which is, by the way, the cover of my book, Quarks of Light, um, I saw and became part of what looked like this gigantic web that covers the earth and stretches into infinity. It's hard for me to explain exactly what this web was, except that it looked like it was made of trillions of neurons. And it is a vast interactive network that binds us all. I, I somehow knew that each neuron, and remember what a neuron looks like from science, it has a nucleus and then it has tentacles and, 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 and they're woven together and somehow inside that nucleus, there was a tiny spark of light or a quark of light inside each one of those nucleuses. And I knew somehow that each one of those little quarks of light or sparks of light represented a life, a human life. And then I knew that we were all connected. And curiously, there were some parts of the web that were darker than others. But they're connected to everything. I felt both exposed and free. I realized that there was no place to hide my actions, good or bad, in the universe. And I remember thinking in that place, if I hurt myself, I hurt everything connected to me. But if I love, the light will spread. I didn't feel afraid or lonely because I knew that I was connected to everything. And I thought to myself, huh, loneliness is just an illusion in the temporal world that we live in because 
we're really connected to everything. So, you know, the next thing that happened to me is that as I became aware of myself, you know, hovering above my hospital bed and I'm connected to everything, I'm part of this vast interactive web, I began to see the nurses moving in and out of patients' rooms. And what was really interesting about this whole thing is that I only saw the nurses that I had made negative assumptions about. And I remember thinking, wow, I thought that I had evolved past judgment, but obviously I didn't. And it was almost as if I began to watch their lives on multiple screens all at once playing out before me, like movie trailers. And as I was watching their lives, it was the movies were going, it was like an, in a regression of events. In other words, from where they were now, all the way back to childhood. And what was fascinating about it is that every time there was a violent act that occurred in their life or a poor personal choice or circumstances out of their control, abuse, something like that, a watershed event, the movie would stop for a millisecond. And it was giving me, it was painting me a picture of what that person had become and why. And I remember standing there looking at that saying, how could I have ever judged these people so harshly? And then, Barry, I had a life review of myself. And that was tough because having a special needs child, there were many times, and I don't talk about this to many people on podcasts, but you know, there have been many times in my life in the darkest moments that I had prayed that Maria would pass to end the suffering, to free me and my wife. And these are things that I had to face. And what was curious about that is that as soon as I forgave myself, here comes Maria out of that vastness, standing there in front of me, perfect and whole, beautiful. She's standing there and her eyes are filled with light. Not the kind of light that we see in the natural world, but that spirit of light that animates all life. And she had this knowing smile on her face. And I immediately recognized that smile because she always had that little smirk on her face when we were in our toughest times together. There were times when we lived in the hospital months on end. They couldn't get her seizure stopped. They'd have to put her in a phenobarbital coma. And she would always have that little smirk on her face. And it wasn't until I saw her in spirit that I realized what she had been saying to me that whole time. She had been saying to me that, hey, you can't touch the best part of me. And in that unspoken language of the, the ethereal, I communicated with her. And I said to her, Maria, please speak to me. I have never heard your voice how I long to know your thoughts, your personality, to hear you say one time, I love you, daddy. And then I said to her, your mother and I, we've, we've taken you everywhere. We've given up everything. We don't know what to do for you anymore when you're suffering. Tell us, tell me what it is that we can do. And she said three words that transformed my life. 
She said, just love me. When she said, just love me, for the first time in my life, I felt free and forgiven. And I spoke into the vastness and heard my own voice echo back to me. I never want to leave this place. And when I said, I never want to leave this place, in the next moment, I found myself back in my bed with that sound of the heart pump pumping my heart. And you know, it was in that moment that I said to myself, I really don't care if I get a heart or not. I know my daughter is perfect and whole. I know she's okay. But I knew that I was sent back, you know, to share the message and to make sure that because I want to, I wanted to make sure that Maria in this temporal world, in this physical world, was cared for the best that I could care for her. So I knew that I was sent back for that. But honestly, in that moment, I was depressed. Didn't want to be, didn't want to be here. Wow. <clears throat> That's uh, incredible, Rob. You got me at a shortness of breath here myself. Uh, let's take a short break. So I, and when we come back, we're going to talk about your heart transplant. Connie and Barry will be back after a few words from our sponsors. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Psychic and author Barry Strom has now published nine books dealing with supernatural subject from ghosts to aliens. His most recent books, Messages of God and Messages of the Prophet Muhammad for a Modern World, bring you the channeled messages of the founders of Christianity and Islam. Their words are intended to guide their followers through these modern times. These books are available in softcover and ebook on Amazon.com. Signed copies of all of Strom's books are available on his website, www.barrystrom.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Is death the end of the journey of the soul or a time of new beginnings? Is there proof of an afterlife? What would historic figures say if they lived today? Psychic and channeler Barry Strom uses his gift of spirit communication to answer these questions and explore all aspects of the hereafter. Have all the information necessary not to fear life's final journey. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right.
Welcome back to Spirits Speak, exploring the afterlife. Have a question for Barry or their guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, we have Rob Gentile here, and it's uh, been incredible so far. So, Rob, I know time is uh, going to be premium here, but tell us a little bit about what happened after your heart transplant and as you regained the strength with your new heart. Oh, sure, Barry. So I was finally transplanted <clears throat> um, on June 16th, 2000. I'm sorry, June 6, 2016. And what had happened after that was just so extraordinary because it started immediately the day that I came out of recovery. I'll never forget my heart was pounding so hard. I came out uh, of that fog from, from all of the medications. And um, I remember the heart pounding so hard that when I woke up, I felt like I, I had to hold on to the bed rails of the bed because it, I, every time the heart would beat, it was like kind of rocking me closer to the edge of the bed. So there was a doctor who's very mysterious. He's the guy that goes out in the middle of the night, gets the hearts, and his name is Dr. O. They call him Dr. O because his, his last name is so long, the nurses can't repeat it. <laughs> um, so I remember Dr. O comes in and the first day, and I said, Dr. O, what have you put in me? This heart is completely consuming my entire being. It's so strong. It feels like I'm getting knocked out of the bed. And this guy had the driest sense of humor, straight face, and he just looked at me and he said, well, we put a Jaguar heart in you, kid. And I was so naive at the time. I'm asking the nurses for my cell phone so I can Google whether it was possible to put a Jaguar heart in a human being. <laughs> um, but, but anyway... Uh, that heart began to speak to me from day one. And it's kind of curious because as the days progressed and I began to act, ask Dr. O more questions, he said that your case was very peculiar because he said, you know, when we put a heart in a body, the heart knows that it's not in its home. And it goes through a period called SAG, where they actually have to give the heart medicines to encourage it to beat. And he said, with you, Rob, it was kind of interesting. When we dropped that heart in you, it just took off running. We didn't have to give it any drugs. So my experience was extraordinary. And it took me uh, almost two years to find out who the donor was, which is a very complicated process. But during that time, um, when I was living in, in Chicago for that year alone, I began to have feelings and emotions and cravings and things that were not my own. And when I finally did meet my, the dad of the donor, um, Hart, a lot of questions were answered. A lot of things came into clarity. And these so-called coincidences, which I coined the phrase, phrase in my book that coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous, <laughs> um, because that certainly was the case with me. So as it turns out, this is a spoiler alert, I have a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed young lady living inside me, who, by the way, was born 
three months before my daughter, Maria, and who always wanted to work with special needs children. I got to see some of her artwork when I met her dad, which was um, so uncanny because she was a natural artist that used to do pencil, pencil sketches. And my mother was a natural born artist that used to do pencil sketches. And some of the pictures were almost identical. Not only that, her favorite flower was the daisy, which she actually had on her uh, tattooed on her arm before she passed away. And my father's favorite flower was the daisy. And I have pictures of him, even though he passed when I was five and I didn't know him. But there were pictures of him standing behind all of his daisies in our garden back home in Pennsylvania. And it's kind of an iconic picture in our family. So there were so many of these so-called coincidences. And this young woman, much like Frosty, uh, passed via suicide. And she began to speak to me in various ways. She's the one actually that helped encourage me to write the book to get the story out, which has ended up helping a lot of people. It's been incredibly gratifying. So I don't know, um, Barry, if you want me to continue on with that, but that's in a nutshell, because I know we're pressed for time. Let me Uh, ask you a leading question. Sure. You doing anything next week at this time? Your story is so incredibly interesting, and there is so much that I want to get, want to do yet. And our time is running so short that I, I just really want to have you back on. So I, I oh, I'd, be, I'd, I'd be honored to come back on, Barry. We'll have to we'll have to figure out a time. I'm traveling um, the next couple of weeks, as you know. I'm a yeah, sales manager for yeah, a steel company. Out. Yeah, but we'll, we'll we'll figure out a time. Yeah, I I mean I I'm I'm so blown away by your story. There's no way I'm going to let this one get away. So <laughs> so, so I really Sorry, Rob. <laughs> uh, we are definitely going to have you back on just as soon as we can schedule it. Because I know there's a little girl here who gave up her heart that wants to speak to you, and we just simply are not going to be out of time to have for you to receive the message she wants to give. So why don't you why don't you take a couple minutes, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, how they can get your book, or your website, and uh, we're going to just simply have you back and, and continue where we are left off. Okay, well that's very kind of you. Certainly, I um. You can email me through my website, which is Rob A. Gentile, G-E-N-T-I-L-E, Rob A, as an Apple, Gentile.com. My book is entitled Quarks of Light, a Near-Death Experience, which you can find on Amazon very easily. Uh, the audio version or the hard or soft cover is on Amazon or at any bookseller um, you can find Quarks of Light, a near-death experience. It's, I mean, I, I, I know that you're doing motivational speaking now. Are you going to be speaking anywhere that uh, people can hear more of your story? I just did um, an engagement in Georgia recently. I have another engagement coming up, but that's not until September. I'll be the keynote. Actually, at the hospital that saved my life here in North Carolina, I'm going to honor the three doctors that helped save my life. And then they wanted me to kind of expound upon this heart-brain connection. Yes, that... I, it's not that I want to talk about as well. So 
we have a yeah. lot to talk about yet. Oh, certainly, yeah. There's uh, there's a lot to unpack in the book for sure. <laughs> oh. That's why that's why it took me three years to write it. Hmm. No, I can believe that it's uh, it's an incredible book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, Rob, oh, thank you, thank you so much for being with us today. I, I'm definitely with. Just let me know when you want to come back. Yeah, uh, we we got a lot more to talk about. Okay. Certainly, Barry. You and I can work out that date. I'd be honored. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, Rob. Okay. I hope everybody felt as uh, strongly about this one as I did today. So, Rob will be back. And I know this little girl has a message for him. It's going to be something to hear. I All look right. forward to that. Okay, Rob. Thanks so much. Next mm-hmm. week, our topic is going to be understanding heaven, life plans, and karma. Now, next week, we're going to channel with Archangel Raphael. I'm going to have the Reverend Billy Graham, his spirit on, and a spirit guide. And we're going to try to unpack a little bit about what we heard today and kind of try to tie things all together. I currently have nine books on Amazon. My latest, Messages of God for a Modern World, consists of 60 messages that we channeled on our Wednesday podcast, The Weekly Message from Jesus. Makes a wonderful daily devotional, is a great gift, and ties in nicely with a lot of the things that you heard from Rob today. Books available in soft cover is an ebook in both English and Spanish. Signed copies are available on my website, barrystrom.com. And I would like to thank all of you for joining us on the Voice America Variety Radio Network today. If you'd like to see more of our channelings, we have approximately 425 videos on our YouTube channel. It's in the name of Barry Strom. Our channelings during the Holy Week were spectacular, and they are all on YouTube. And I will be putting this show up on YouTube as well. So you can go onto the Voice America site and listen to the archives, or you can listen to it on our YouTube channel. Now, I hope all of you enjoyed the conversation today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Rob is a true light worker. I hope you'll support his work. Uh, Rett syndrome's a terrible thing. I know that it's possible now that you can contribute and possibly help find a cure for it. So please tell your friends about our show. Join us each Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. We're on the Voice America Variety Radio Network. Please tell your friends about it. You'll be doing them a distinct favor. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Connie and Barry Strom. Tune in next week for another informative and inspiring episode on the Voice America Variety Channel at 9 a.m. Pacific Time.